Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly discussion on what's happening in Westminster from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne. In this episode, we'll be discussing a week of Brexit highs and lows for Boris Johnson. After winning the crucial vote on the second reading of his new withdrawal agreement, he was instantly defeated on the timetable for delivering it. In response, the Prime Minister once again attempted to call a general election, but doesn't look like he's going to be handed it by Parliament. We'll be digging into all of the dramatic events this week, attempting to examine the what-ifs, but what might happen next. I'm delighted to be joined by our chief political correspondent, Jim Picard, Whitehall editor, James Blitz, columnist, Robert Shrimsley, and Maddie Thimmon-Jack from the Institute for Government. Thank you all for joining. And if you find yourself liking this episode of FT Politics, then do subscribe to receive it through all the usual channels every Saturday morning. We see it too often, but this really was a week of Brexit highs and lows. After last Saturday's unique sitting, where Boris Johnson failed to hold a meaningful vote on his deal, the government finally released the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, known as the WAB, which outlined all the details of Mr Johnson's efforts to get us to leave the EU. That went to a vote in Parliament on Tuesday, and the Prime Minister won it. But straight afterwards, he tried to pass a so-called programme motion to get the whole thing done and dusted by October the 31st. He was defeated, and so once again, we're back into stalemate. Robert Shrimsley, let's just begin with what happened last Saturday. This was meant to be the moment Boris Johnson got the seal of approval from Parliament for his deal through a so-called meaningful vote. That was diluted from an amendment by Sir Oliver Letwin to try and avoid a no-deal Brexit that made it a meaningless vote, as the government and ministers tried to say. And that really teed up the events of this week, which was introducing the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, the WAB. Yeah, I mean, I think the extraordinary thing is the way momentum has shifted over the last few days. I mean, we only have to think about it. It's only just over a week ago on Thursday. Boris Johnson clinches his deal. The momentum is hugely with him. He brings back Parliament to get a meaningful vote for it. And it looks like he might actually have the numbers. It's very close, but it looks like he might have the numbers. And, you know, you and I both trotted off to Westminster on Saturday. We got up early, got into the House of Commons. And almost immediately, for what was meant to be a historic day, first time since the Falklands, it sat on Saturday. And almost immediately, you could feel the air coming out of the place. Everyone realised, no, we're not going to be present at another moment of history. We're going to be present at another moment of limbo. So Oliver Letwin essentially tried to close what he felt was a legitimately large loophole in the Benn Act, which would have allowed a no deal to happen. But the result of this was that what should have been the moment of progress of Boris Johnson was in fact not. And everything that happened after that, even though he's made progress, has been about his sense that his momentum is falling away from him and that he is, most important of all, going to miss the deadline that he said was inviolate of getting Britain out of the European Union by October 31st. So, Jim, once we passed that crucial moment, and as Robert said, it was quite a disappointing moment, I think everybody felt, because it would have either said there is a majority for this deal or there isn't. 
And we didn't really have an answer to that and we still don't have an answer because that vote was neutered by the Letwin Amendment. But then we came back on Monday and Steve Barclay, the Brexit Secretary, introduced the WAB, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, which is this big piece of legislation that actually defines the terms of making Brexit a reality about what the transition period looks like and provides legal certainty. This was never released by Theresa May's government, but it came out and it was introduced to the Commons and MPs started debating it. Exactly. And quite interesting when you looked at the Institute for Government did a comparison of Theresa May's agreement and Boris Johnson's agreement and the number of times when you look at that text that they just conclude no change, no change, no change. I mean, an awful lot of it is the same thing, but obviously things like the Northern Ireland backstop removed, which clearly they cling to as the moment of major change. And then we went to the vote on Tuesday evening and, you know, you said we didn't get a moment of clarity on Saturday. On Tuesday evening... We did get a moment of clarity and the moment of clarity was that, yes, there does seem to be majority support for Brexit for the very first time in Parliament. Unfortunately, that moment of clarity dissipated about 15 minutes later when the programme motion, which was the timetable for getting this stuff through Parliament, was then voted down. So let's just dig into that second reading vote. And second reading votes are backing legislation in principle. It's not saying that MPs agree with every detail of it, but it says the idea were behind this. And that passed with a majority of 30. And that was mostly thanks to, as well as the whole Conservative Party, but 19 Labour MPs. Now, we've done a lot of number crunching over the past week to figure out where the parliamentary arithmetic is. And we expected about 10 Labour MPs would back that. Another nine did, but we've spoken to a lot of them this week, Jim, and we do know that some of those backed the second reading, not necessarily to back this deal, but to try and move this process forward. So you could say there's clarity in the majority of 30, but there's even less clarity because we just don't know where the actual majority of the thing lies. I agree with you that technically voting for the second reading doesn't mean that you approve of the entire bill. But I think all of the MPs that did that vote did know that they would be giving Boris Johnson, certainly on the face of it, a majority at that point in time. And so therefore they knew that they would be seen as backing Boris Johnson's Brexit and they were told in unceremonious terms by the whips the potential consequences of that. And I think, you know, we've been writing about this potential Labour rebellion for a long time. And I remember about a year ago getting into a spat with Lord Adonis, the Remain-leaning Labour peer, who sort of questioned... the Remain-leaning? <laughs> Ardent Remainer, I think, <laughs> so might be a bit better. statement. And my article had been that there were up to 30 Labour MPs considering voting for Theresa May's deal and the esteemed peer Adonis thought that this was ludicrous and not one single Labour MP would do it. And I suppose the Adonis worldview was borne out in the spring when we only had this pathetic handful of Labour MPs backing it. But I think we've reached a point where their constituents in these leave-leaning seats, particularly up north, are telling them every single day we need to get on with Brexit and they're listening to that. And I think there was also just this point where they're also worried about no-deal Brexit. And there's a lot of game theory and psychology involved here. You know, when it only looked like three or five Labour MPs, no one really wants to join their minimal posse. When you get over a certain level, then it was as if the floodgates were starting to open a bit. And, you know, I chatted to one of the MPs who backed it on the terrace that evening, having a beer. And the suggestion was that most of them will still stick with it through to third reading if the legislation does come back. I also spoke to Labour whips that evening who were relieved that it was only 19. You know, they were actually braced for it to go up to 25, 30, 35. So I don't think Boris Johnson necessarily needs to worry about all of them welching further on. So let's just talk again about the programme motion, Robert. And this is everyone's favourite technical term to discuss this week. And this defines the time and limits of a debate for a piece of legislation. Normally, they're just nodded through. The government will give it however much time it wants to for a bill. But 
Mr Johnson wanted this thing done and dusted incredibly quickly to try and hit his October the 31st deadline. And the programme motion was instantly defeated by a majority of minus 19 votes for the government. And that was because not just a lot of those Labour MPs we talked about voted against the programme motion, but a whole bunch of independent Conservatives, people who were in the Tory party before they were kicked out last month due to backing legislation against a no-deal Brexit, they voted against it as well. So at that point, that's when it really all started to go wrong for Boris Johnson. Yeah, and crucially, the other people who voted against it were the Democratic Unionist Party, and their votes were the difference between defeat and victory. It was a big moment for the government to realise they really have lost the DUP in this process at the moment. I think the programme motion business was an extraordinary thing. And the more I look at it and the more I think about it, the more baffled I am. The only conclusion I've reached is that what is going on is that British politics is full of people who think they're playing Mahjong, but who actually are playing Ludo. They think they're being incredibly clever and complicated. And in fact, you look at it and go, what? Sorry? So this timetable would have allowed just under three days for the entire scrutiny of possibly the most important piece of legislation to be placed before Parliament in decades. And MPs quite understandably said, I'm sorry, this isn't long enough. We're not going to be bulldozed like this just to meet your own arbitrary deadline of October 31st, which is an entirely political one since the extension has now been requested. And this is all about the politics of this rather than the desire to get good legislation. And it's very hard to see how the government cannot have understood that three days was an unnecessarily antagonistic approach and that if they'd gone for seven or eight days or 10 days, they probably would have got their programme motion. And you could say whatever they'd asked for, it wouldn't have been enough. But from what I've heard, the Labour Party was prepared to give them a programme motion if it was of that order. So the government was unnecessarily antagonistic and has put itself in this place, which leads me to ask the fundamental question, does it really want this legislation through before an election? I'm not sure that the government is sure it does. Because that's the very odd thing, Jim, that after the programme motion was defeated, Jeremy Corbyn stands up in the House of Commons and says, you didn't talk to us about this programme motion before and these things called the usual channels, which is where the whips from both parties have conversations in dark rooms and agree how to run the business of the House of Commons. There was none of those discussions at all for this programme motion, but they were willing to do that. And there was a meeting on Wednesday morning between Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson where the opposition leader was actively willing to work with the government. Now, in some ways, if I was a Labour Remainer, I'd be quite unhappy about that, saying, why is my leader trying to help the government get this thing through? But Boris Johnson said no, and he turned down that offer to have the programme motion along the lines of Robert suggested. Yeah, and they're quite conflicting accounts of what happened in the room. You know, there was this report about Dominic Cummings striking a table. People in number 10 tell me there was no table in that room. Number 10 people saying we did say to Nick Brown and Jeremy Corbyn, we could give you another week or so of scrutiny. Labour are refusing to say how many days they requested, although the rumour out there is it was probably around nine days. So there's a bit of counter-briefing that doesn't necessarily make perfect sense. What we know is that the two sides don't trust each other and that it's not inconceivable that when Labour say, as John McDonnell said to us yesterday or the day before, that he didn't want to move immediately to an election because the most important thing on earth was getting extra days of programme motion. But he wouldn't say either how many they wanted. He just said it's days rather than weeks. I think one of the really important questions you have to ask yourself about this process is, what is it that the Tories are trying to get out of this? And I think a normal person stepping back and looking at this would say, why do you need to pull back from this now, threaten to withdraw the bill and collapse the issue, which is what Boris Johnson has done, and demand an election when this legislation is beginning to make forward progress? It is true 
that amendments could wreck the Brexit deal as far as Boris Johnson is concerned. There could be amendments that won, which were so inimical to what he's trying to do that he couldn't let it go through. But at that point, he has the opportunity to withdraw the bill if he wants to. He hasn't been beaten on anything important yet. And the question I certainly find myself asking is, what legitimate reason is there for you not pressing ahead until such time as you do face one of those defeats? Speaking to people in the government about this, their argument essentially is that if it goes through on the kind of nine-day timetable, it will likely get amended. And we saw some of those amendments emerging this week. The one about a customs union is very likely to find a majority. The so-called trapdoor amendment to stop a no-deal Brexit at the end of next year, that would also potentially pass. And at that point, the government would end up having a Brexit deal that it is not happy with. I understand that argument too, and it's a fear of the Brexit party. They would have to concede territory which the Brexit party could exploit in an election before Brexit. But the counter-argument is they haven't lost those amendments yet. When they lose them, they have the right to take their ball away and go home and cry for an election, but they haven't yet. But I would also say, firstly, the amendment for a second referendum, we're pretty convinced it doesn't have the numbers. Secondly, the amendment for stopping no deal during the transition period so what? Boris Johnson shouldn't complain given that he wants a deal and got a deal. And then the customs union one. So what if they force Boris Johnson to try and seek a customs union in the future? This is so far down the tracks that we'll have an election by then where he will be very honest in the Tory manifesto that he doesn't want it. So you mentioned an election there, Jims. That's where this argument has gone. That once again, Boris Johnson has come out and said he wants a general election. And on Thursday, he came up with this offer to the parties which said, I will give you several weeks to debate this bill, but in return, I want to have a general election on December the 12th. And as we know, holding an election is not within the power of Boris Johnson, thanks to the Fixed Term Parliament Act. He can't dissolve Parliament. He requires a majority of two-thirds of MPs to vote for it. And all the signs, as we're recording this on Friday afternoon, are that he's not going to get it. So what do you think was the thinking behind Boris's offer of saying, we will bring the bill back and we'll have an election? I think there's got to be an element of Boris Johnson realising that Labour would probably say no and he could once again depict them as cowards. Stopping Brexit. And stopping Brexit and all the rest of it. I think there is an element of maybe Boris Johnson is a gambler and he's prepared to risk losing Brexit and have a quasi-Marxist government getting into power. But um, I wouldn't necessarily see it as particularly logical. On Labour and whether they actually want an election, it's fascinating watching them squirm. The Labour position made sense a few months ago when we were further away from the action where you could try and square. We've got some people who want a second referendum and some people who want an election and some people who want Brexit. So we'll sort of have a policy which embraces all these things simultaneously in some kind of weird way. Now that we're this close, it's as if these doors are slamming shut and Corbyn's options are closing very fast. And so He's repeatedly insisting, I want an election, just not today, you know, probably not tomorrow and, and maybe not December. He was on the radio Soon this morning. for the rest of our lives. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Diane Abbott was on the radio this morning and Corbyn was on the radio this morning, both saying, well, December's a very odd time. It's very cold out there. It's a bit Baltic and the university's students aren't around. And what about the tinsel? The excuses are wearing pretty thin. And like I said earlier, John McDonnell saying to us two days ago that the most important thing is the programme motion, having a few more days to look at this legislation. They've offered that to him and it's as if they're running out of excuses to not have the election they don't really want because they're more than 10 points behind. Yeah, that's fundamentally what it comes down to, Robert, that Jeremy Corbyn was chomping at the bit to have an election, I think was said at one point. But the fact is Labour knows that an election in these circumstances aren't going to be particularly positive, for it, particularly where the party is on the polls and it's messy Brexit position, but it all looks incredibly odd to people, you know, to have an opposition party that says it wants to boot out the Tories and then is saying for the second time it won't actually do that. Yeah, I think there is a generous and an 
ungenerous interpretation here. The generous interpretation is that Jeremy Corbyn himself probably does want an election, but so many of his MPs will not vote for it that he is worried about trying to force it through. Also, a generous interpretation is to say that actually you could say this is the fixed term Parliament Act doing its job in that when one side, the government, sees a political advantage in trying to force the election, the other side says, hang on a minute, why don't you just get on with your job and pass the legislation you've been screaming to pass? So no, you can't have one. The ungenerous version of this is that the Labour Party is a complete shambles at the moment, that there's not at all clear what the opposition is for currently. It keeps saying it wants an election, but as Jim says, never actually prepared to pull the trigger to get one. It's full of MPs who are thinking that maybe if they hang on a bit longer, they can get rid of Jeremy Corbyn, though I don't quite see how that happens. And full of Corbynites who want an election or I'd better follow his lead on wanting an election, but at the same time know that if it goes wrong, that's the end of the project. I mean, they're in a terrible, terrible place. The only thing I think Boris Johnson has got right this week so far is exposing and exploiting the Labour Party's weakness. The only thing I would add to that is that it's obviously fun being cynical, but I think there are people around Jeremy Corbyn who genuinely believe that he can win. And I think sometimes he looks in the mirror and he thinks that himself. And we go back to what happened in 2017 when we all wrote them off they were 25 points behind and they ended up two points behind so yes they didn't win the election did they close 23 points in the polls yes and we can get into the but that's an argument that for agreeing to an election that. that would be an argument for him agreeing to the election yeah so that's it, why that's why people like Len McCluskey Dan Carden some of the sort of loyal John Trickett wants it and probably Seamus Milne in Lotto and like I say Corbyn sometimes thinking it's a great idea, but then listening to other siren voices and changing his mind. Indeed. And, you know, there are people who are very close to Corbyn that you know, Jim, who sort of also aware that if there's an election now, Corbyn will fight it and maybe does have a chance of winning. But if we have an election in six months time, the chances of him still being Labour leader are much less and the party may have changed its position on things. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not completely convinced by that theory because I think the delay we're talking about or Labour people are talking about is probably to February, March. And I don't think any of them actually think Jeremy would be gone by then. I think if you start talking about next summer and he is 70 and is his health brilliant right now, it's not entirely clear. Someone in his team said to me a while ago that there were points earlier in the year where he did consider stepping down, but now his hackles are up for the election. He really does want to fight it and have one last chance for his hard left agenda to get into power. But yeah, we don't know how he would feel come May. I think the other point is, looking at less from a Labour part of view, from the Brexit issue, you have to ask yourself, what is the end state that Labour most desires on Brexit, which is also part of this equation? Because if you want to stop Brexit, as most people in the Labour Party now do, your only best bet is to force the election and hope Boris Johnson is defeated, at least enough for there to be a coalition government. If you don't want to stop Brexit, then you don't have the election. You try to carry on with the legislation on the withdrawal agreement bill, amending it to make it less unattractive to you. If the Labour Party's position is that, then you have to draw conclusions about the Labour leadership's approach to Brexit. So what is going to happen next? Well, nobody's going to give you a definitive answer since there are too many variables about what might happen if Boris's plan for a general election fails. So let's cast around and put forward some questions with some potential answers. Maddie Thimondrak, thanks for joining us. Let's just begin with this first thing about the election, that we know Boris is pushing for this. Let's assume he doesn't get it. That feels like it's a feeling on Friday afternoon. What else can he do to try and get an election? 
I think his next potentially more obvious step in the sense that only requires a simple majority is potentially to try and pass a very short bill that would say they want to hold an election on this specific date. So it reassures any MPs who are concerned that he might mess around with the election date, but also, as I say, would only require a simple majority. Having said that, if you are passing a bill, it is open to amendment. It also has to go through the Commons and the Lords. So it's definitely not straightforward. And the challenge as well, of course, that bill could be amended. Exactly. And, you know, there's some discussion about you could change the voting franchise. I don't know whether you could even try and include an amendment relating to a second referendum. I mean, Speaker selects amendments, so it does feel like anything would be possible in that scenario. And then the other thing, of course, is the Prime Minister could resign and that would trigger up this two-week cooling-off period within the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. But that could allow Jeremy Corbyn or somebody else to sweep in and form another government. And also, I think he's missed the boat on timing for that now. Given that two-week period, plus the 25 period that stipulates actually hold an election and you're well into Christmas time. That's right, definitely on the timing. He would have to not necessarily just resign, but actually table a vote of no confidence in himself to trigger that process under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. But yes, exactly. It could raise the chances of the opposition parties coming around and agreeing a caretaker government to manage the period to either introduce a referendum bill or, or something else. But also, as you say, you have missed the timing. You're not going to hit the 12th of December. And there are some genuine logistical reasons why the 12th of December has become quite a hard point, not least because village halls and, and various locations for holding the election actually, they won't be available. So that has become quite a firm deadline. With James Blitz, clearly the Prime Minister is in a bit of a hole at the moment because he's wanted to call a general election. I think this is the third attempt to do it. And every time the opposition Labour Party have said no, one of the ideas that's going around is that if Parliament won't give Mr Johnson that election, it will just go on strike. This is an idea that's emerged from some parts of government. They could introduce no bills. They wouldn't bring forward a budget. They just wouldn't do anything and just have asinine debate between now and Parliament actually going for that election. Is that a realistic prospect? Well, it's an extraordinary prospect if it happens. I mean, that is what Downing Street was saying on Thursday night, that if Corbyn doesn't give way and allow an election under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, or I suppose, or they weren't talking about it, if Maddie's idea of the one-line bill doesn't come to fruition, then what happens is that the government just simply ceases doing anything in the House of Commons and does something akin to a militant student sit-in where absolutely nothing is happening. When you stand back and look at it, although at the moment, into the weekend, it looks as though the government feels it's got Labour on the ropes because there's lots of confusion in Labour, I do wonder how that scenario of a freezing parliamentary activity will look for Johnson if it starts to develop over the next one or two weeks. I mean, you have to stand back and remind yourself of this. Number one, Johnson's Brexit bill, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, passed at second reading by a good majority. He passed the Queen's speech on Thursday night. That got through as well. So the basis for actually going ahead and doing stuff, both on Brexit and domestic legislation, is clearly there. And so if ministers are then turning around and saying, well, we're just doing nothing, I think over time, the public will begin to wonder whether this is a rather fruitless political tactic, a bit like the prorogation fiasco, rather than something which actually is leading anywhere. I mean, at the end of the day, Johnson did have a very clear mantra, get Brexit done. And what he's doing here, if this is allowed to develop, is he's giving up on that and saying, get an election done. It's a very different message. I think it might end up confusing the public. 
I thought it's certainly confusing me where we are. And I think this also brings the question about a budget as well, because we were expecting that, a big moment where the Treasury gears had already begun turning to produce a major fiscal event. But now the government has cancelled that sort of thing. So if this parliament keeps on sitting and there's no budget, James, then that also creates problems itself. For example, you know, renewing income tax levels. That's exactly right. You have to have a budget, obviously, to set the new fiscal framework for next April. And this is the time it happens. And Maddie will perhaps know better than me, but this decision to withdraw the budget at the last minute is absolutely unprecedented and quite destabilizing. And then there's also the fact that Johnson is going around saying that he has a very active one nation interventionist domestic policy on schools, on extra police officers, and so on and so forth. You could make the argument, well, if you believe in this, and this is actually what you want to do, why aren't you getting on and doing it? As I say, Johnson's position looks like a clever tactic to try and put Labour on the spot, but it won't be very long before it starts to look rather odd in its own right. Yeah, I think just jumping in on the budget point, James is absolutely right. You do need one in place before next April. You can do it later on. It doesn't need to be necessarily right now. But I do think it completely goes to this point of, you know, we didn't know when there was going to be a budget. They then announced the budget date. Now they've said it's not going to be then. There's just a lot of confusion. And I think it adds to this feeling of uncertainty about what is happening on Brexit, but also what is happening domestically. And particularly, I think, for those outside of Westminster watching it, there's just real confusion about what all of this actually means. Indeed. And the thing that's so odd, it feels like the obvious thing that the government should do, Maddie, is just to bring the Brexit bill back again, because they tried to have that rush timetable that everybody thought was a really bad idea. I think there was very few who were defending it. And the odd thing is the Labour Party is willing to work with the government on that. That Jeremy Corbyn has made it so clear he will agree a new programme motion. And it's Mr Johnson who doesn't want to do that. Now, there is a fear that the bill is going to get amended to high heaven and will cause other issues about getting it through. But it feels like that's going to be the best way forward if they don't get the election. That does seem to be the government's next best move. You're right. Yes, it did get a majority at second reading. You can't necessarily read that across to be a clear majority for the deal. We know that some of the MPs who supported it at second reading wanted to get it to the next stage so that they could amend it. And there are a lot of amendments down. I think there are 47 pages of amendments so far. I have read through most of them. And some of them do look to try and tie the government's hands in the next phase of negotiations, which they will be concerned by. But on the other hand, you could argue that, well, you get your legislation through, maybe it's amended in a way you don't like. But then if you can then have an election, if that then puts the pressure on Labour again to support an election, if you've got a majority, you could then also legislate to remove some of those amendments at a later point. It does add an additional political hurdle, but it is possible. It sort of seems from both sides, both parties seem quite confusing and not necessarily straightforward at this point, because as you say, Boris Johnson says, give me an election to get Brexit done. But in theory, he could get Brexit done if he passed this bill. And that's right, James, because I've looked through the same amendments that Maddie mentioned there, and nearly all of them are all about domestic law, because the only thing that would really bind his hands if it forces him to go back and renegotiate the deal with the EU, whether it's the customs union or the so-called trapdoor that would stop the UK having a no deal at the end of the transition period next year... Boris could still pass the deal with that if he gets it through, of course, because I think if the bill does get amended, you start to lose ERG support and other mainstream Conservative Party support. But let's say he got the deal through, even if it said you should have a customs union. Mr Johnson could then say, OK, fine, I don't believe in this, but I'm going to go to the British public, get a mandate for my free trade agreement, and then it will just fall away in the next parliament if he's successful. 
Yes, I very much agree with that. And I take the view that uh, if you were to have a debate on the floor of the House for a committee stage and then third reading lasting a few weeks, it's a perfectly possible target to get it all done by Christmas. I mean, at the end of the day, there are only three amendments that are really important here. One of them, an amendment to make his deal conditional on a second referendum, would certainly sink the whole project. That really would be a problem for him. He couldn't accept that, but don't think there are the numbers there. As you say, the second one on a customs union, yes, that could pass. But at the same time, he could say, look, I'll live with it now. But if I come back after an election with a majority, I'll get rid of that and we'll go back to trade deals. The third one is obviously this idea that Parliament should be allowed to take the initiative on insisting that before July next year, they would mandate an extension to the transition period so we don't fall out into no deal in December 2020. I think that's something which he could probably give ground on at the end of the day, in much the same way that the Ben Act was doing that in this stage. And again, he could say, if I come back with a majority, I could change that as well. So there's nothing there, I think, apart from perhaps filibustering that would really stop him making progress. And it's incomprehensible, really, when you stand back why he's not going down that route. I mean, I looked back the other day to see how long it had taken the 1972 European Communities Bill to go through the Commons. Edward Heath, in the end, ended up giving that something like nine months. So a bill of this magnitude really ought to be given quite a bit of time. But opposition MPs and people like Dominic Grieve are talking about three or four weeks. It's perfectly reasonable. It's an acceptable position. And I don't think it's really understandable why Johnson is not accepting that. And it seems it is just all about the politics of it, which takes us, Maddie, to what Labour might do next, because they've essentially set out their position. We'll find out how they're going to vote on that election motion probably on Monday. But if they don't vote for that, because they've always said that no deal has to be taken off the table. Now, of course, ultimately, the only way to really take no deal off the table is to either revoke Article 50 or pass a Brexit deal. You can make any number of arguments that said that is the final point which no deal is taken off the table. But is there anything else that could happen in the interim that could persuade Labour to say, OK, we're satisfied, let's now have an election? I think it's quite difficult to see because, as you say, they seem to be saying they just want no deal off the table, which you can't do. I guess there's a question about whether if the EU came back and proposed a much longer extension, if there was an election and, say, either Johnson or Corbyn were successful, there would be time for each party to act on their Brexit proposal before leaving the EU. Then maybe that would help. I don't know. Because I think there's been some question about the concern that if you have an election on the 12th of December, if Parliament isn't up and running until January, that really limits anyone's time to do anything before that potential 31st of January deadline. So maybe a longer extension could go some way to saying, well, look, at least we're putting off the possible no deal for much Six longer. months, say, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But it doesn't sound like the EU is thinking about offering that anyway. And Labour passed the Ben Act that did say 31st of January is the date that Parliament wants. So they also seem to be in quite an odd position. Clearly, what they're trying to do is just push very hard for the government to bring that bill back. And finally, James, we're going to ask you to make a bit of a prediction. By the time we sit here recording this podcast next Friday, where would your gut say we're going to end up on this? Because my thought will be is that if they don't get the election, they probably will have to agree a programme motion and bring the bill back. And then we're straight back into debating amendments and all that sort of thing. Well, it's hard to say. My assumption is that Corbyn is not going to give the green light to an election and the numbers won't be there under the two thirds fixed term Parliament Act. 
I suppose Johnson might go down the line of that one-line bill that Maddie was talking about. That's possible. He has to do that quite quickly, I think, if it's going to be legislated next week. So we could still be on for a December election under that scenario. But my assumption is we're actually going to end up in this total mess for a while where this really rather ridiculous sit-in is happening by ministers and nothing, absolutely nothing is happening in Parliament until such time as something breaks. I mean, at the end of the day, I have begun to think this week that the one thing that really could completely call Johnson's bluff is if Corbyn were to decide once and for all that there needed to be a caretaker government and that he wouldn't lead it. I think that would completely take the ground from under Johnson's feet, because in the end, he is leading us towards a total stalemate. Assuming that doesn't happen, I think we are unfortunately in for a period of total mess on the floor of the House of Commons. And Maddie, into your mystic ball. I think that there's a likelihood the early election motion isn't passed on Monday and the withdrawal agreement bill doesn't reappear and actually maybe nothing has happened and nothing has changed before you record the podcast next week. Oh, well, that's something for our listeners to look forward to. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much to Jim, James, Robert and Maddie for joining us. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard and would like even more Brexit analysis and reporting, then do check out our latest subscription offers, which you can find at ft.com forward slash offer. FT Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Anna Dedder and Owen McSweeney. Until next time, thanks for listening. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.